Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shadow of your wings, Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. That is Psalm 61, which along with Psalm 62 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, February the 1st, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along uh, today. It's We're looking at... Um, the Messianic Prophecies of Isaiah, and we're still there in chapter 52, the first 12 verses. We're also still in the Epistle to the Galatian Church, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 to 20, and then in Mark's Gospel, the 8th chapter, the first 10 verses. So remember that, that yesterday what we had looked at with the Isaiah was is that he is, he is telling his people that he is about to redeem them. The time has come when he's going to make them uh, the, his own again and restore them to their place. Um, so we are moving in that direction of, of God restoring and redeeming his people. And, and remember yesterday, he told them to wake up. And so here we begin again today. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. They're coming to a place where, where God's saying, be prepared, be ready. Deck yourself out as though you are queen of, of all the world. Prepare yourself to, for beauty and for righteousness' sake. Because he says, no more will come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. And you see that same thing in the book of the Revelation in the New Jerusalem. You see that, that these who are unclean will have no place in her and they will have no right to come into the city. It's, it's a city that is holy to the Lord. And the people in the city are likewise holy to the Lord. And so those things that are detestable and unclean can't come into the city. And so he's saying that's the way it's going to be now when I restore you. But we know that that really awaits the final judgment and the restoration of the new heaven and the new earth. And so we get here this same idea, though, that God is telling his people to be prepared for his coming and his presence in the city. <clears throat> for thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. I didn't get anything for you. Remember when the uh, the brothers of Joseph wanted to send him to um they wanted to sell him into slavery, and then the Midianite traders came and, and took him. And so they, they received nothing for him going down. And that's what he's saying here is that I didn't get anything for selling you into the exile and slavery that you're in. And he says, so therefore you'll be redeemed without money. It's not going to cost me financially anything to redeem you. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing, just pleasure. 
and and you don't treat God's people that way. And and what it's what he's saying though is is that they did, they did it because they could. Same thing in Egypt and Assyria is. I can, I had the power to treat you however I wish to treat you, therefore I will do that. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. And so Jesus is saying, you know, or the Lord is saying, I don't even get credit for this. My name is despised, even though that I'm the one who raised them up and made them great in the world. These these other kingdoms of Babylon and Persia and all that. And I don't even get credit for that. But my people are going to know my name. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. So the good news, the gospel, is the way that that could be translated into Greek. It's the gospel of happiness and peace and salvation. And so the one who proclaims that and he says here it's the voice of the watchman, the ones who they're standing on the walls, they're waiting and watching, and they see the return of the Lord to Zion. So the watchmen in this instance are the prophets. They're the ones to whom God speaks to proclaim the good news that he is going to return to Zion, and when he does, he'll bring his people with him. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. There's this personification of the land that is now a waste place. The waste place of Jerusalem is Jerusalem itself. And so we see in Romans, by the way, where Paul says similar things when he says something like the whole creation groans in anticipation of the revelation of the sons of God. And that's exactly what he's saying here, is that break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. In other words, remember they were sent into exile for failing to allow the land its Sabbath rest, and so the land should be glad that these people are going to come back, because they are, theoretically at least, going to keep that law, and they will tend the land and care for the land in the way that they're supposed to. And it's a message of positive for us today. I'm not going to go full-blown environmental kook, but but we have a responsibility to care for God's good creation. That was a responsibility that was given to us not to rape and pillage the land, which is exactly what his people had done and that got him sent into exile. It's, It's you start there, and then it becomes, well, why are you doing that? Well, it's greed and it's covetousness and I want more and blah, blah, blah. So it becomes that problem. And so everything kind of starts in an agricultural society in that place. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So it's, this word is going to go forth even further than the land. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So he'll be in front of you, and he'll be behind you. 
as you go. And it, when it says you will not go out in haste, th- that, that is contrasted then with the way that they left Egypt. Remember, he told them to be prepared to go quickly at that time because he knew Pharaoh would change his mind if they didn't get out quickly enough. But here, it's the king in this exile. It's going to work the other way around. The king's actually going to send them out, and he is going to give them lovely parting gifts, and he's going to give them permission to go worship their God. It's this exile, and the return from the exile is exactly the opposite of what happened in Egypt. And so that's the point that God's making here is is that you'll know that I'm doing this this time because it'll be different from the last time. This time, you're going to go out with lovely parting gifts and the blessing of the king. And so there'll be no reason to hurry, but I'm going to go before you, but I'm also going to come after you and protect you from harm from behind. And there's only one place that I'm aware of in the whole Exodus event where God moves around behind the people, and that's at the Red Sea, because he gets between them and Pharaoh's army. He goes around behind them as their rear guard in that place. In the gospel lesson today, so yesterday Jesus had gone to Gentiles in Tyre and Sidon and then over in the Decapolis, and now it says, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. So Jesus says, look, they've come and they've hung in here, they've stayed during this time, um, so what we should do is we need to feed them. We, we've fed them with spiritual food, and now we need to feed them with regular food. And, and so the, remember, the first crisis in the wilderness was actually three days in because they had no water. The, here, they're near the Sea of Galilee, and so there is some water nearby. But, but they have a crisis because they've got to go back to their homes, and some have come from far away, so they need to be fed. But they would have exhausted their food supplies during this three-day period of time when they've been with him. And so the disciples' response is, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So they're not in a place where there actually is any food, but it seems that they have completely forgotten (laughs) that Jesus did a similar thing in feeding 5,000 people once before. And so surely they would have had some pattern recognition going on here, and they would have said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know the answer to this. But they didn't. Where would we get the food to feed these people out here? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. That's good enough. That's what that means. Um, They... They're directed now to sit down. Okay, we have enough to feed you people, so it's time to sit down. And so he has them sit, and then he takes the seven loaves, gives thanks, breaks them, and gives them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied. So it's a matter of having faith. If Jesus has a little to work with, then he can do much and feed many, but he's, he's got to have something. And so he blesses it, and then he breaks it, and he gives it to them. There's this display of faith that God will take what, what has been offered and make more of it than anyone could ever imagine. 
So that's exactly what happens. And they were eight and satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And seven, instead of seven loaves, they take up seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And then he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. So it's it's the same pattern as before with the 5,000, and it's still a lack of faith on the disciples' part that that Jesus can do this thing, even though they've seen him do it. And we're, we're capable of, of losing the thread in the same way. Uh, we're perfectly capable of that. And no matter how many times we've seen God do things, we can still doubt that he can do it again. And so here we get this, and then they get into the boat again, and they go back over the Sea of Galilee, and they go to the district of Dalmanutha. And here's the funny thing about Dalmanutha. Nobody has any idea where it is. It is not something that's even described in the history books. So it's very difficult to figure out where that is. So in the Galatians passage today, he says, Brother, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And, and that's a powerful statement. Paul has said, you know, look, you were, um, you were Gentiles. You were Gentile sinners. You were dogs. You were unclean. You were all these horrible things. That's what I used to think of you. Like we saw Jesus make the comment to the Syrophoenician woman yesterday. She, he, he lays that down, and, and Paul says, look, I've become like you. I've become an unclean Gentile sinner like you. Um, because I've laid aside my desire or, or my belief that I can get any righteousness under the law. And he says, so, so don't do that. Don't accept that. I'm telling you, I already rejected that, and I already moved on because of Christ. Because of Jesus, I no longer follow that line of thinking. And so he's saying, become like I am. Put that stuff in the past. Put it away as far as you can put it away, because all it's going to do is change the way that you understand Christ. He says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. In other words, I hadn't actually planned on being there and preaching the gospel in Galatia, but physically, God kept me there. And while I was there, I preached the gospel to you. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So that's the the goal and the role of an apostle, actually, is to be sent with a message like an ambassador. And and what the role of an ambassador is, is to represent the one who sent him as though he were that person. He speaks on behalf of that person. So the ambassador for the United States in any place has the power to speak for the United States, for the, for the president, and for the country. And that's exactly how he says, you received me, as if I were Christ Jesus himself, because you recognize me as his apostle and his ambassador to you. He says, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me, which makes us believe that Paul had a vision problem, and that's what kept him there, is because he, he specifically says you would have gouged your eyes out. So, so before that, you loved me so much for the gospel that I gave you, and you believed it so completely to be true that, that if you had been able to gouge your own eyes out and give them to me, you would have done it because of the great gift and the great blessedness that I brought to you. 
Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. Again, this goes back to that the, the Isaiah passage where he says, my people were sold for nothing. And that's what he's saying here is they're trying to sell you out for nothing. They don't get any gain of it at all. And, and you're going to give over your salvation by faith in Christ Jesus to accept the yoke of the law, which will not bring righteousness and it will not bring salvation. They're doing it because they resent you at some level. They don't even like you. They're, they're trying to make you do things that they themselves can't do. The people Jesus said are hypocrites. You tie up these things on the people and you're not able to bear them yourself. And you don't do anything to help them bear that load. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. So they come in and they make a big deal out of you and, and they treat you like kings, but, the, but they don't have a good purpose behind that. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. So they want to shut you out of the kingdom is what he means so that you may make much of them because you're no longer making much of Jesus. You're making much of them. It's always good to be met much of for a good purpose parentheses, like you did with me when I brought you the gospel. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, <clears throat> for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. In other words, I was in anguish with you before for childbirth because in bringing you the gospel, and now I'm having to do it again. You, you bought into this lie and now I have to rescue you from the lie back to salvation. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. That's a strong word. Now, this fits also, by the way, with statements in Hebrews about going back. Once you've tasted and seen and then rejected that. And that's what they're doing here in Galatia. And that's why Paul's so mad is because there's a group of people who are coming in there and attempting to move them back to the law and away from grace, and therefore away from salvation. And so Paul says, I'm not having any of that, but i got to come at it hard. i got to come at it in a way that I'd prefer not to come at it, but it's life and death. It's the most important thing that I'm going to do. And so I'm coming at you hard in this, and I'm perplexed about you. I don't want to take this tone with you, but I don't have any choice. And it's a prophetic tone. It's exactly the kind of speech that prophets made to God's people when they were going astray. It's important that we not let people go astray and go back to the law. It's important that we keep people under grace, not under law.